Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I just want to take a moment to let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, this is Brett, by the way, uh, I am continuing our series titled Rooted, and in this series, we're going to look at the times where we may feel stuck or plateaued in our spiritual growth, and we're asking the question, how do I grow in Christ? We'll be seeking guidance from Scripture about how we get more rooted in Christ, experience more growth, and discover more power for this life with Jesus. Coming up on January 24th, we have Group Link. And if you're new to Southview or you just haven't connected with a small group yet, this is the event for you. The night will focus on connecting people with groups that may be looking to add more people or to start a group with people right then and there. You can register on our website or Realm, and the event is free. With the new year in full swing, there are a lot of things happening and starting up, so be sure to check the viewpoint or even go to our website to look at events. We really don't want you to miss out uh, on what's happening. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to our viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast, or you can go on Realm and join the group Southview Family Updates, and that will make sure that you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we'd love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant. Because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Sermon text, Colossians 3, 1-4, NIV. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you, are, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. Oh, you got me? Yeah. Hello and welcome again. If you are new with us this weekend, I am Brett. I'm the worship pastor. Um, I'm not preaching on music or worship music. I'm not going to sing So that's just my disclaimer. Uh, Before we jump in, thank you for reading. It's wonderful. And last week, Sam kicked off our new series that we're in. It's titled Rooted. And we're going to spend a number of weeks looking at the journey of a Christ follower, knowing that at times in that journey, we can feel stuck or maybe plateaued in our spiritual growth. And so we asked the question in this series, How do I grow in Christ? And it's worth reminding each of us, whether we're longtime Christ followers or just peeking in the door at who Christ is, each of us are learners. As a community here at Southview, we are a community of learners. And so together, we're going to look through Scripture to guide us through those moments of potentially being stuck to learn how to grow more rooted in Christ, how to experience more growth, discover more power for this life 
with Jesus. And last week, Sam looked at the passage, John 15, and you may not be aware of this, but that passage is the inspiration for the look and the etching on the front glass, on the windows and the doors as you first walk in the building. The goal of which is to remind us as we enter and leave that we are to abide in Christ and that he is the core of who we are. Our life, our ministry, our breath depend upon and are found in him because Christ is the vine. We are the branches and apart from him, we can do nothing. And as Sam pointed out last weekend, as we abide in Christ, we will bear much fruit. And this is fruit that blesses the world wherever God has placed us, bringing glory to him. And Sam asked these questions. What is sprouting up in the garden of your life in this season? And what do you want to see flourish out of your life? And then of equal importance, can't go without this. Are there things that God is seeking to prune in you? Because as we know from last week, or if you're a gardener, gardening requires pruning for branches to bear more fruit. So as was read just moments ago, our text for today is in the book of Colossians. It's in chapter 3. In fact, we're going to be in this chapter for three weeks in total. And this is a letter written to the church in sorry, written to the church in the agricultural town of Coloss. And there isn't much to know about this town in the time of Paul, other than perhaps the location. So Coloss was located on the southern bank of the Lycus River in the territory of Phrygia, which is modern Turkey. And you can see on the map here, approximately 110 miles east or northeast is the city of Ephesus. And this is another of the letters written during Paul's imprisonment, but it isn't entirely clear where the imprisonment was. We know from Colossians 4.14 that Luke is with him. And traditionally, the theory is that Paul was in Rome when he wrote this epistle or letter. And like we were, like when we were in the letter to the Philippians, it's important to remember, we must know as much of the context as possible when looking and reading and seeking to understand an epistle or a letter. One of the key reasons for that being a text cannot mean something for us that it never meant to the original audience. And I'm going to say it again because it's a mouthful. A text cannot mean something for us that it never could have meant for the original audience. This is an integral part of interpreting and wrestling with Scripture, whether you're up here and you're preaching or whether you're at home spending time in God's Word. And for the book of Colossians, there's actually some gaps as to why it may have been written. And scholars have some ideas, but it's, it's a lot like listening. If you're in the room with somebody who takes a phone call, it's a lot like listening to one half of a phone conversation where you're trying to fill in the gaps of what the person on the other end might be saying, but you don't know. Because obviously Paul knows what he's writing about. And the audience is going to understand what he's writing about. But it isn't spelled out precisely or specifically for us as the modern day reader. So here's what we know. There is some type of philosophy 
that is spreading among the Colossians and inside the church. And Paul doesn't specify what it is exactly, but it is diminishing the supremacy of Christ and salvation through him alone. Part of this movement placed heavy emphasis on ritual circumcision, dietary laws, the observance of holy days. But as Paul so also notes, there's an interest in lifting up elemental spirits of the universe. So there were those that were affirming the participation of various supernatural powers in the creation of the world and then teaching falsely that those powers should be worshipped. And so this, it did not deny Christ, but it did dethrone him. It gave Christ a place, but not the supreme place. And then lastly, there were those that were teaching that the body, the physical body, was evil. And Paul addresses that in chapter 2, verse 23. But it has to be noted that those that were teaching these things hadn't achieved complete success. And that's why Paul expresses gratitude for the Colossian Christians and rejoices over their continued commitment to Christ. In chapter 1, at the beginning of the letter, verses 3 and 4, he says, In our prayer for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. So in this letter... Paul's reason for writing to the Colossians is first to express a personal interest in the church there, but then to warn them against old pagan rituals and to refute the false teaching. And prior to our text today, in chapter 1 alone, Paul proclaims absolute supremacy and sole sufficiency of Jesus. And one scholar calls it a full-length portrait of Christ. So in the first chapter, and I made a table. I really, really like making tables. Look at that. <laughs> Except for the bold line was bugging me, but I just couldn't get into it. So anyway, Paul points out in the first chapter alone, Jesus is God's son. He's the object of the Christian's faith. Jesus is the redeemer, the image of God, Lord of creation, head of the church, and reconciler of the universe. Just in the first chapter. And then the last thing I want to note today about the letter of Colossians is that it's kind of a kindred epistle, a kindred letter to Ephesians. They are similar in language. They're both prison epistles. They hold many topics in common. And both letters are concerned with the lordship of Christ and the unity of the church. However, in Ephesians, the stress is on the church as the body of Christ. Whereas in Colossians, the emphasis is on Christ as the head of the church. And so our text today, in the first four verses of chapter 3, it's the beginning of a section of this letter that reads all the way through chapter 4, verse 6. And this section is really an appeal to, for Christian living. But in our four verses, I'm going to split it up into three sections because I'd like to think I'm getting better at preaching and everything must be done in threes. And in that, Clyde actually affirmed that in me that I was doing the right thing. So here's the three things. Here's three sections. One, seek the things above. Secondly, set our minds 
on the things above? And then thirdly, what is our motivation? Why are we doing this? And really, looking at these four verses together, they point to the believer's union with Christ as the root principle of the whole Christian life. And so we're going to jump into the first verse, and I want you to keep in your mind, seek the things above, which should be fairly simple, seeing as it's right in the verse. But one helpful note is that that verb there, I think it's called present, it's a present imperative, but it is actually meaning and suggesting a continuing action. It would be keep on seeking. So this text is telling us to keep on seeking to desire and strive for the things above, to center our interests in Christ, our attitudes, our ambitions, our whole outlook on life. Our allegiance to Christ takes precedence over any allegiance here on earth. And because Christ reigns over all, all our lives should be ruled by him. Every thought, aim, value, aspiration, and striving should come under his lordship. These first two verses I want to read yet again, but I want to read it from Eugene Peterson's The Message. He says, so if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. And in his book, Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright says this, Paul insists that if you are already raised with Christ, in other words, if you, through baptism and faith, are a resurrection person, living in the new world begun at Easter, energized by the power, the same power, that raised Jesus from the dead, then you have a responsibility to share in the present risen life of Jesus. It is no use simply saying, I've been baptized, therefore God is happy with me the way I am. Paul's logic is, you have been baptized, therefore God is challenging you to die to sin and live the resurrection life. So the challenge here for us is learning to see things from God's perspective, instead of continually asking him to see things from ours. And this really leads us into our second part. We want to look at verse 2. We are to seek the things above, and then we are to set our minds on those things above. We pursue the life of Christ, and we set our minds on it. It's not unlike running a race. We prepare mentally, and we walk through what will be required of us, and we set our minds to what we are to accomplish to get to the finish line. And this requires discipline and habit. A number of years ago, some close friends of mine suggested I join them in running uh, the Grand Canyon, rim to rim in one shot. Uh, it should be pointed out, these friends... Uh, I took that picture. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, these, you know him. So these friends were uh, ultra runners. They run multiple, sometimes, 100-mile races uh, just in a summer. 
I'm a musician. <laughs> and I'm a musician that hated running. I couldn't figure out why anyone in their right mind would leave their house to run knowing full well they will end up back at their house. I figure, save yourself the time, don't even leave. But I do like crazy goals, sometimes to my own detriment. And so I said yes, and I started training. And if memory serves me correctly, I think there's approximately 11,000 feet of elevation change. It's like around, I think it was around 5,000 down from the side that we started on and then up another six. It was 42 kilometers from one side to the other. Uh, and in preparation for this undertaking, clearly I needed to train. And I was running three or four and then up to five and six times a week. And I was increasing the mileage according to the plan that was set out for me uh, by Stan. And something like this couldn't be prepared for without discipline and building a habit. I had to commit in my mind and with my schedule to the plan. And there were injuries because my body was not thrilled about the plan. But even in that, I had to maintain focus and discipline. And yes, I, I did accomplish it. It was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. It was also one of the hardest things I've ever done. In fact, at the bottom, we were coming into Phantom Ranch, which is um, kind of in the bottom of the canyon, if you've been there. Um, I got a slight injury in the back of my knee. It was a baker's cyst. And uh, if not for the training that I put into, it, into the months leading up to the trip, along with a very patient Colin Weeb, who I don't think is here tonight. Is he? There, you remember. <laughs> if not for Colin, too, I wouldn't have made it up the other side. Well, I would have, but it would have been like a $500 U.S. airlift. <laughs> Um, and so I think when I look at a goal like that, that was pretty tangible. I knew this is what I'm going to do and I'm going to do this. It is a little more difficult sometimes to consider a goal that it seems more mystical than something like running a race or completing a project, but we aren't in it alone. As I've said earlier, we are a community of learners. And this is the journey that we're all on together, like Colin, who got me through the second half. Also, um... He really started irritating me because I was getting really grumpy. I think I have a picture that Colin took. That's me being like, who are you and why am I doing this? Um, but we're not meant to push as hard as we can to attain something. And certainly not on our own. Here is who we are as resurrection people. From N.T. Wright, we must therefore do the hard work in the present of becoming the people we are destined to be. This future destiny is already given in Jesus Christ and in our membership with him. We are not starting with raw human material and working it up from scratch. We are starting with a human character already in Christ. Because our reality is similar to what we've talked about, even in the fall, with the kingdom of God. It's already here, but not yet. 
We are already resurrection people in Christ. Colossians 3.1 tells us that we've been raised with Christ. And 1 John 2.28 tells us that we are abiding in Him. And Galatians 4.7 reads that we are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then an heir through God. So through our baptism and faith in Jesus, this is the reality of who we are. And yes, we still battle with sin and wayward hearts. We are, because I'm a worship pastor, prone to wander, like the hymn says. But our standing with God in Jesus is unchanged. And with that truth and promise, we set our minds on the things above, on Christ. We submit to Him and His rule. And it does require discipline and habits like reading scripture or prayer, corporate worship, coming to the Lord's table. There are many. Our attitudes and ambitions are given over to Him, and they are molded by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us since He ascended to the right hand of God. Which brings us to our last two verses, verses 3 and 4 under the heading, Our Motivation. And again, it was read earlier, but I want to read these two verses again from the message. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. Meanwhile, be content with obscurity like Christ. So one of our motivations for seeking and setting the mind on the things above is our union with Christ in both death and resurrection. When we read Colossians 3.1, and it says that we are raised with Christ. That verse parallels the statement a, ch a chapter earlier in verse 20. 2 verse 20 reads, if with Christ you died. So verse 3 here today is actually, in a sense, summarizing and repeating this. And Paul is reassuring the Colossians that they already have completeness in Christ. But its full demonstration awaits Christ's return. And in the NIV translation that we read earlier, in the NRSV, the word used for this completeness is glory. And we can find this in a variety of places in Paul's letters, but let's just take a look on the screen at Romans 8. It's the tail end of verse 30. And it reads, Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Millard Erickson, a theologian, says that glorification is the point at which the doctrine of salvation and the doctrine of the last things overlap, for it looks beyond this life to the world to come. So what we believe about our standing with Christ, who we are in Christ as saved ones, overlaps with Christ's return and heaven coming down, like Scripture tells us. And with that comes resurrection. Hear Paul's words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ." 
And so this is somehow mystically our present reality and our future reality. We are in Christ. We are already people of the resurrection. But at the same time, we are waiting for Christ's return when we will be revealed with him in glory. And in the meantime, NIV and NRSV use the word hidden. Eugene Peterson used the word obscurity. But in the meantime, we remain hidden. So there's an obscurity, a hiddenness to our lives in the world. So right now the world will persecute, despise, or ignore. We may be seen as weak or ineffective. But in the end, with Christ's return... The world will be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation. And that revelation will be our true selves along with Christ. And so in the meantime, we seek the things above, we set our minds to them. And I'm certainly not saying that we embody the phrase that you may have heard before, that we're so heavenly minded, we're of no earthly good. No, thank you. Let's not do that. Jesus is not suggesting, nor does he suggest, that he's going to do the work and we'll remain totally passive. We will do it, although in and with the strength that he supplies. And nor is it only for worship on the weekends. It's not just for in this room. Gordon T. Smith, who's the president at Ambrose, our university, writes this in his book, On the Way. If all that we are and do comes under the kingdom, then religious activities are surely important. But not all life is religion. We are members of families. We have occupations and responsibilities in our places of work. We have leisure time to enjoy friends, hobbies, and the arts. If we deny or undermine the other dimensions of our lives, we subtly ignore the centrality of the kingdom of God's redemptive plan. And it means that my work at the office is just as important as my participation in worship. Both are lived under the reign of Christ. The whole of our lives, each dimension is lived in terms of the kingdom and therefore is an aspect of our spirituality. I think it's far too easy for any of us, myself included, 100%, to relegate God, including our resurrection identity, that resurrection identity that we have already in Christ, relegate it to things that seem to make more sense, like a church service or a quiet time at home, or if you have a prayer closet. But we are to live out this reality in every area. What Paul is telling the Colossians, and us as well, is that we are to develop right now the character which will truly anticipate the life of the coming age. And please keep in mind, God created each of us. He loves us. The goal is not that we would be absorbed into God, losing our identity and individuality, but rather that that we will come once more to reflect the divine image fully and completely from God into the world and from the world back to God. And one of the ways we've talked about embracing this over the years or even taking these steps here at Southview is to ask two simple questions. 
as we walk through our daily life. And remember, it is daily. In fact, I don't know who said it, but I really enjoyed this quote. It says, the hardest thing about the Christian life is that it is so daily. And I find that quote quite funny, but I also don't think it's that far off. For example, how many of us get injured, like me, like every other week while I was training for the Grand Canyon, but how many of us get injured or something? We go to physio. Physio gives us all the exercises that are going to get us healthy again. And maybe a week after we start doing the exercises, we feel better and we just stop doing the exercises. Or how many of us have gotten an antibiotics prescription because we're unwell and we're taking it and then we start feeling better and maybe we don't finish the bottle? Or for our spiritual lives, how many of us hear a great sermon, probably last week, and... And or we feel a tug to make a more concerted effort for prayer or reading scripture. And then after a week or so, maybe less, maybe a little bit more, we find a way to fall out of that rhythm. And I don't say these things to depress all of us. Uh, because we keep failing, but it's hopefully to point out that oftentimes we share the same struggle as the people we're sitting around right now. We are a community of learners, and that means that we're learning, which will include stops and starts. And so the two questions we can start asking, they're very simple if we aren't asking them already, is one, what is God saying to me? And then two, what am I going to do about it? I think the nature of these questions, if asked, will already put us closer to the goal of seeking and setting our minds on the things above. Just by asking these questions and talking with those closest to us about the answers to those questions, because there is a secret third question, and it's, how do you know it's God? <laughs> so talk to people. That's good. But even talking about those things, we're positioning ourselves to see the world in which we live and operate through the lens of Christ's lordship. Or in turn, it is the lens of Christ's resurrection and by our faith, our resurrection lives also. And there are so many disciplines and habits that can help us on this journey. But even if we just started one place, and it was just these two questions in our mind this week, I do believe it will help us to orient ourselves to the things above. It reminds us that God is speaking, that he is guiding us by the Holy Spirit, that he wants us to act and not remain passive in our waiting. And I know we've said it before, but coming to the Lord's table is an essential part of this journey. It's not just reminding ourselves of Christ's work on the cross, but also receiving from him in this meal. And as we receive from Christ in this meal, we're actually taking part in the resurrection reality. And perhaps it gives us what we need to move into this day and this week, to journey more closely with him. And so we do take the bread, and we remember that Christ's body was broken for us.
And likewise, we take the cup and we remember that Christ's blood was shed, poured out for us for the forgiveness of sins. And so just before we get into these elements, I just want to take a bit of time. And when we ask questions like, what is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? That is not a 30-second thought process. However, I mean, it can be. We believe in all sorts of things that God can move in powerful ways. However, it's probably going to take time. So why don't we take 30 seconds to a minute of time I don't have, and we're just going to aim ourselves in the direction of those questions, asking God, what are you saying to me, and what am I going to do about it? Just take that first step before we receive from him in this meal. And again, it is a first step. Perhaps we continue, and Christ gives us what we need through this meal to continue this tonight and tomorrow, asking God, what are you saying to me, and how can I act? What are you asking of me? How can I respond? So let's take our elements and remove the first layer, revealing the bread. And I'm going to read from Matthew 26, starting at verse 26. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Receive from him. And then as well, the cup. And continuing in Matthew 26, verse 27. Then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many For the forgiveness of sins, I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Receive from him. Let's pray. Father, you created us, and you have given us our identity in Christ. In Christ, we are the people of the resurrection. And so by your Holy Spirit, soften our hearts and open our ears to hear your voice and your calling. 
Give us a sense of your presence in even the most mundane of tasks and remind us that you are with us. In that, help us to submit to your will. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Will you stand together? And a reminder, after the benediction, our time isn't officially over, even though the service is. You can grab a coffee. You can hang out. If you made a best friend last month, you should probably talk to them again. And also as a reminder, now that the new year has started, there are things starting up all over the place here at Southview. So either reference the viewpoint uh, or hop on our website, take a look, because things like youth or women's Bible study are starting up. I think youth starts on the 16th. Uh, because I'm a youth parent. But uh, make sure you know what's happening. We don't want you to miss out. In our benediction today, I want to just read again our text from Eugene Peterson's The Message as a send-off. If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. But look up, be alert to what is going on around Christ. That is where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, is with Christ in God. He is your life. When Christ shows up again on this earth, you'll show up too. The real you, the glorious you. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace.